welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. series on freedom and uh, Ruth's away on a prayer retreat uh, for a week. She's coming back tomorrow and then she'll be back and she'll be finishing, uh, I think I share maybe next week as well and then she's got a couple of messages so we've got a, a few more weeks to go uh, and, um, and she's looking forward to coming in and uh, sharing back into this uh, subject. Um, today uh, I want to talk about curses just for fun, you know. You know, Christian conversations uh, sometimes get around to this idea of a curse. Someone's talking about some kind of spiritual attack on them and uh, including sometimes the idea that uh, there's a curse that's running through their family that's come down through generations and uh, the problems that they're facing in their life they're attributing to some kind of spiritual uh, curse or attack or... Uh, evil spell that has come upon them and, um, and, and in their family lineage. But uh, what does the Bible actually teach about this, about curses and, and how we are affected and, uh, and if we are affected, how we can be set free from some kind of negative spiritual influence? So that's what we want to look at today. Uh, the dictionary defines the word curse as a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. I think that's quite instructive. A solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. Now, we see this in the Bible and in human history in four main ways. We'll look at them. The first one is uh, through witchcraft and sorcery, and we see this in the Bible where they've been involved in this area of the occult, the negative dark side of the spiritual realm. And of course, we are warned not to be involved in this. And if we look in Leviticus 19, way back uh, in the Old Testament, it said, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists. for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So this is God speaking to his chosen people. And in fact, it was so serious that if people were involved in this, uh, they were put to death. So it wasn't just a mild warning or a rap on the knuckles or I told you, you shouldn't do that. They were, they were taken out uh, completely because God really didn't want them to be involved at all in this area. Uh, if you go into the New Testament... Um, of course, you can, you can make the claim that we're in a, an age of grace, uh, the law and God's focus on one chosen people with direct consequences being meted out regularly has shifted. And of course, we will come before a, a throne and a day of judgment in the future at the end of time. Uh, and to some extent, God's hand is, is lifted and there is grace available for us to make right decisions. But the uh, area of Uh, mediums and sorcery is still out of bounds for a smart, 
follower of Christ. Uh, and we see that in the New Testament. For example, there's a revival you read about in the book of Acts uh, in chapter 19 in Ephesus. And it said that the people who had practiced sorcery and witchcraft brought all their scrolls to be publicly burned. So it wasn't at all like, oh, well, that's cool. I believe in Jesus, but I'll, I'll just take uh, kind of a little bit from the past and I'll mix it in. And in some cultures, some people in our church, uh, representative of some cultures in Africa, uh, in, in uh, 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 the Bahamas and the West Indies, sometimes there is some, uh, some occultish activities and sometimes people have... And South America, I don't know if we've got many South American, you know, but in some parts of South America, there's some uh, occultish activity that is, you know, melded into Christian or, or Catholic teaching and people end up with a sort of a funny kind of mix. And God doesn't want us to mix. Uh, there's one way. Jesus is the way, not one of the ways or part of the way, yeah? And so he is the way and the truth and the life. And, um, and in fact, even when this kind of activity didn't have obviously negative influences or results, you see it frowned upon and evicted and dealt with in the New Testament. So uh, that was Acts 19 that I talked about in, in, uh, in Paul's ministry in Ephesus, but a few chapters before you read about Paul in uh, Philippi in Acts 16, and you may know this story where there's a slave girl uh, owned by people who used her um, skills in a spiritual sense as a fortune teller. And she comes along and Paul's in town and she says to everyone, listen to what he's got to say. He's a man of God. And you think, oh, okay, that's kind of good PR, isn't it? That sounds like, you know, getting the word out, save printing off a lot of flyers or doing some Facebook messaging or getting the word out and people are going to come to Paul's meetings. But he ends up rebuking the spirit and casting it out of her because the spirit that's telling her how he's a man of God is actually not from God. And so it was a weird little dynamic where sometimes it can seem like someone's helpful. Oh, telling the fortune. Maybe it is partly true. But, but where's, the, uh, where's it coming from? The, what's the source of this uh, gift? And so Paul addresses that, casts the spirit out because he realises this is a demonic spiritual influence and, of course, her owners are very upset because they lose their uh, income stream from owning this slave girl. Um, and so that whole area is a kind of a no-brainer. You know, we're not to be involved in that in any way. The second form of cursing that you see in the Bible and in, in, in life is a slightly different definition where you've, it's really more of a natural insult. And so people would curse someone or can just swear against someone or insult them or invoke just in a natural, base, angry, human, sinful way just the, the, the anger or the angst that, or, you know, tension that can come and build up and people will throw it out. And you see it in the Bible. You've got... Um, you know, Goliath cursing David when he rocks up and, uh, and different people just throwing out a, a, a natural anger uh, and an insult towards people. And, of course, we are warned about this in the Bible. Romans 12, 14 uh, says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? And that, that echoes Jesus' commandment too. Similarly, um, 
we read Jesus saying, hey, in about Matthew 6, um, he said, when people persecute you, you know, don't fight, fight fire with fire, so to speak. He says, bless them. And so this is a higher way of living, isn't it? Rather than just getting down on the, 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 the natural base level of sin and carnality and uh, the human condition, which we can all go to, um, uh, we need to, you know, let that person in as they cut in front of us on, in the traffic, you know, and, uh, and just take a chill pill, as they say, and lean into God and bless them and, uh, and do not curse them. And uh, again, in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic law, uh, if, if people per- cursed their parents, they were to be put to death. So um, forget the reward chart on the fridge, parents. Just uh, maybe look up that scripture and stick it up there for the little kiddies to read before they go to school. Luke, remember the reward chart? I think you've probably heard this before, but I think there's only one of Luke's siblings here today. Uh, But all three of the others used to roll their eyes when we had reward charts because, especially the older two, uh, who were a little more feisty and um, they would just say, oh, Luke's going to win anyway, uh, forget it, what's the point? You know? um, and maybe I should have helped Hudson by pointing to the Old Testament. Um, but, well, that's if they curse their parents, which I, I don't think any of my children have ever done, at least might have been just under their breath, you know, but the Lord sees. Um, uh, so just be glad... Uh, probably all of us that were born in New Testament era, like I said, it's not quite the same results. But um, So we're not going to go around cursing people. Yeah? We're going to ask for God's grace and love and forgiveness and not just have that natural version of cursing. That's the second area. The third for- form or source of cursing in the Bible might surprise you, uh, and that's God himself. And if you look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, of course, this is a famous passage about blessings and cursing. But listen to these words. If, notice if, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, I will be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be your basket, your kneading bowl. So in other words, your work, your form of provision, your finances. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. Well, there's nothing really in between. It's like curse this way, curse that way. Yikes, yeah? And then if you go down to verse 45, in summary... All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not, watch this, obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. So notice the issue there is obedience. So even though you could say, well, God, is he cursing people? Is he inflicting something upon people? Is he sending something people? Well, we are really all under naturally the curse of sin that we bring upon ourselves if we continue to walk in disobedience to God. So if we are rebelling against the plans that God has for us, then a curse is the natural result. You could say it's judgment, it's righteousness, it's just natural because God is just and righteousness demands some kind of punishment. And of course in Christ, 
we have been uh, freed from that punishment because Jesus has taken it on board for us, yeah? But they are natural consequences for our actions rather than this kind of strange, weird, vindictive superpower God like you might see in the the Avengers movies, you know, where you've got some godlike being with a bad attitude and wants to have a go and send fireballs on people. That is not the Lord, you know. And um, Janelle was sharing over communion about that, just appreciating God's grace, not having to earn his approval or uh, the uh, avoidance of sin's consequences by doing something ourselves, but simply stepping into what God has provided by faith. And so this solution, we are told uh, in Galatians 3, because um, Paul's writing in the New Testament, but he's referring in this book a lot to what happened in the Old Testament and the work that the law had in people's uh, walk with God back in the days of Israel as God's chosen people. So look at this in Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, you can't be perfectly following rules and regulations. We're all going to mess up at some point and then we're cursed. So what do we do? He says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. So that's the old system and God gave us the law or gave them the law to prove to the Israelites and to humankind when we read the Old Testament that, wow, you can't get to heaven by just being a good person. I can't get right with God by myself because he's perfect and I will always be imperfect. So there's an issue and a problem. But Jesus came. And that's when it says, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us or paid for us or brought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Jesus took that punishment and that's why he went to the cross. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree. And so that's an Old Testament prophetic word about how Jesus was crucified. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us non-Jewish people, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so here we have faith, yeah, stepping away from any effects of a curse. Um, and so, there, again, the, the sense that God curses people, uh, when you read about it, uh, it, it it's, it's there, but it's not so much God's, it's not at all God's nature or desire to curse people. It's just natural consequence for sin, yeah? Well, what about generational curses? Perhaps you've heard of that. And that's in the Bible too. A number of places. Oh, excuse me, sorry. It's the, all the men screaming. Howling at the full moon last night. Um, so, uh, so several references to generational curses. One uh, is in Exodus twenty verse five, and it says uh, that God warns that He is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me. Wow. 
It sounds kind of unfair, doesn't it, for God to punish children for the sins of their fathers? And it would be. But God is perfectly fair. So there's more to the story. Because let's face it, fathers generally influence their children uh, with a certain way of living, their lifestyle, our habits. It rubs off on your kids. Fathers, we've probably all had moments where we've thought, oh, I am my father. What am I doing? I told, I, I told myself I wouldn't do that. And then you hear yourself say something or do something and you think, oh, flip, that's just like what my father used to do, you know? And, you, and, and there's some good things that you want to do that your father did, but depending on the fathers, there's some bad things too. And sometimes people have got a sinful lifestyle and it's just passed down onto the next generation. Now, everyone's an individual, everyone's got to make choices, but we are influenced by people and particularly by our parents. And so there is a, often a a lifestyle that's modelled before us by the preceding generation. And if that's, like I said, a sinful lifestyle, then the children are more likely to practise that sinful lifestyle. So implied in this warning is, is the fact that children will choose to repeat the lifestyle of their fathers, the sins of their fathers. They still get to choose, but it's easier for them to choose that way. And harder to break it from the past. Not impossible, but it's easy to just go with the flow. And of course, if they do choose that lifestyle, that sinful lifestyle, then the justice of God demands judgment and punishment. And then that generation who follow in the same sinful ways will have the same judgment. And so that's what it's referring to. Uh, but of course, as we've already mentioned, there's a complete cure for any judgment that's coming on any generation and it's called repentance because at any point we can change whatever influence may have come from the past, from our ancestors, from our parents, from our fathers or generations before us because each of us has an opportunity. God has no grandchildren. All of us have the opportunity to become children of God and to set a new pathway. And for many people in my generation in Australia, myself, Ruth, other people, we didn't have a lot of great Christian modelling in our parents' generation. We had some churchgoers, uh, but they weren't necessarily on fire Christians. Uh, we had plenty of people who were not churchgoers, not Christians, not believers at all, becoming quite independently, strongly, confidently atheistic. Uh, and, uh, and so we had to really discover Christ for ourselves. And then it's not uh, totally dissimilar if you have been brought up in a Christian family, you've had plenty of good influences, but you've still got to make the choice yourself, yeah, how you're going to live. And whatever influences we may have had, uh, we get to decide how much they will have on us. And there may be the need to really break from some things in the past, depending on how you were brought up or what kind of influences were flowing. Um, and know that it's not God's intention to punish people. I mean, that you read that at first reading, you think, well, okay. But the very next verse says this. God wants to show his love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So again, it's up to us. If we obey the ways of God, we step into a place of blessing. You know, If we disobey and rebel, well, we are automatically placing ourselves under judgment or you could say under a curse. It's just the curse of sin. 
And so again, it all depends on how we choose to live, whether we can live in trust and obedience towards God or whether we live with doubt and disobedience and rebellion. Totally up to us. And of course, once we become a child of God, we are born again with a new identity, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, with the opportunity to really make a break from the past and to live with blessing, live with hope, live with uh, confidence and and no need for the, the past in our own current history or our parents' history to have any hold over us. There's no need for any Christian to live under a curse. Uh, you know, for example, um, I've got a friend uh, who was afraid of getting married. He's a Christian and we went to Bible college together and um, his parents had been divorced and their parents before them had been divorced and just about everyone in his family had been divorced. And he just thought... I'm going to get divorced. I don't want to ruin someone's life. I don't want to ruin my, life, my own life. Probably, maybe I'll never get married. Maybe I shouldn't get married. And so although he's a Christian, he had this cloud, this thought, this worry, this fear that you could say was like a generational curse or some kind of generational lifestyle. Yeah? And that's the paradigm, the way of thinking he had. But of course, as he sought God and he spent a year uh, at the college, we had a whole year of seeking God full time. And, um, and he started to get faith and revelation and confidence that maybe he could break with the past. Maybe he could marry a Christian girl and, and that marriage would be strong enough to survive whatever pressures the world throws. Maybe that scripture about a threefold cord not being broken could be true because Jesus would be that third cord of his marriage. You know? And he started to think like this and believe for that and pray for that. And it was really exciting because I was right there with him saying, yes, and I knew this guy and I, you know, I'd seen. In fact, when we were kids, there weren't so many people whose parents were divorced. I can remember it was sort of like a bit of a thing, you know, and that's become sadly a bit more common. But uh, for him, it was just all he knew. And, um, and then uh, we were blessed to be involved to see them come together because Ruth knew the girl that was keen on him and because he was a little unsure, she misread that as, oh, he doesn't like me. And Ruth's like, he really likes you. And Ruth's coming over to me saying, he does really like her, right? Yes, yes, he really loves her, but he's a bit concerned about it. And Ruth would be like, I, you know, I, he really does love you. And then she went overseas at one point. She went, oh, I'm over this. I mean, she travelled with a friend and took off. And he's like, oh, she hates me. She went overseas. She'll marry some American or English guy. I'm like, it's okay. She's going to come back one day. Oh, who knows? You know? And so it was quite dramatic, but kind of cool and wonderful. You know? And they finally, they got married. Praise the Lord. And they've been married for over 30 years. And they have a wonderful marriage. You know? and, uh, and so he broke that and he had to really address it. He didn't, he didn't sort of just give it a go thinking, oh, well, am I? No, in, in, the, in, in the Lord. He brought his faith and, uh, and, and, and the, the promises of God uh, to bear. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they're reaping the rewards of that today. Okay, so the fourth area, what about curses from the devil, our enemy, Satan? Interestingly, the Bible doesn't actually record any evidence of a satanic curse or the devil cursing someone. And we kind of think, but hang on, what do you mean? Well, 
of course, there is plenty of mention of demonic activity. There is the reality of spiritual warfare. There is a devil. He does want to steal and kill and destroy, as we read in John chapter 10. Oh, of course, we read that Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly straight after that. And so there's promise to overcome any attack of the devil. Um, but to be biblically accurate, we would probably say people are not cursed by the devil, but they can suffer from spiritual attack or uh, bondage or oppression because there are spiritual dynamics, negative influences that can come from the pit of hell, from the enemy. And so there are some real issues uh, that affect people's lives. And because of spiritual dynamics, they can play out into natural parts of living. So the area of the whole area of mental health um, can involve some spiritual influence. Uh, people can have emotional breakdowns that have some kind of demonic attack that's involved. Um, mysterious illnesses. Some families have suffered this and it seems to be in, a, in the family in a generational way. Uh, you, I mean, you wonder sometimes about like the Kennedy family in, in America. You know, they're famous, they're brilliant, they're successful, they've been politicians and yet a lot of them die. And, 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 you know, sometimes people have been in some weird uh, lodges and pseudo-Christian kind of organisations that uh, you read people who have got to the higher levels of them say that actually it's pretty weird and bizarre and satanic and they make all kinds of pledges and invoke kind of weird things upon their life and there's probably some kind of influence that's flowed down, even if people aren't aware of it. Um, and so you can get, you know, marriage breakdown and family conflict and sickness and even financial problems and abuse and stuff that has got a spiritual dynamic to it. So if you've suffered from that or you know people have suffered from that, well, then what's the answer? What do we do? Um, there may be some spiritual doors that have opened uh, in their lives or in your life to the enemy. Well, how do we find freedom from this kind of demonic influence? Well, there's a few things we can do. I'll give you four things that we need to do, and it's pretty obvious. The first one is we've got to take responsibility for our life. And I say this because and this doesn't mean that you fight the devil in your own strength. Of course, we are not trying to be like self-made people. If we're aware of spiritual dynamics, we realise, flip, we need help. But God is so much stronger, so we lean towards him, and then we become more than conquerors, right? But we do rely on God, not on ourselves. But the point I want to make there is that uh, we've got to individually take up our cross. We've got to put our own faith in the Lord. We've got to uh, not cast blame on other people or shed our responsibilities or make excuses because, uh, you know, sometimes... It's easier to do this and it can be part of our identity. Some people have lived with an issue much longer than they should have and it becomes easier, it becomes part of their identity and it's, it's almost uh, not attractive but something that they just wear and it's just a little bit easier if you can blame someone in the past or say, well, it's not really my fault and not really pull yourself up and do something about the issue but just live with it and learn to cope with it and say, oh, well, that's my lot, uh, but that's not God's best, yeah, because he has the opportunity for us to be broken, to break things from the past, to be set free from bondage and to live a great, strong, healthy, fruitful, productive, blessed life into the future. 
and have problems at the same time, that's life. But still have that spirit of victory rather than, like I said, sometimes almost an appealing, easier way of living is just to sort of give up and say, it's nothing I can do and it's happened in the past and it's in the family and it was my primary school teacher who didn't look at, like me properly or, you know, and some kind of just cast the, the blame somewhere. Uh, but we have to take some responsibility. And sometimes you can have even a great setup and you can still suffer. I mean, remember the name Judas? He had a really good pastor. He had some great friends. He had the best leader, the best advisor, the best counsellor, and yet he failed. And so if someone's failing in life or suffering for no apparent reason, the problem is not the pastor, <laughs> necessarily. Okay, okay. All right, I'll cop a bit of blame. You can throw a little bit my way, sure. But, you know, what I'm saying, essentially, it's not the church you're in or the environment you're in because, or the leadership you're under. Because look at Judas. He had every opportunity with Jesus there. Uh, it's just the attitude and the character and the way we have cultivated what's going on in our heart that really de determines how we move forward, how we're going to deal with issues, yeah? So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing we need to do if we've got some kind of attack or influence in our life or some, something that we need to address is, of course, to believe what Jesus has done. To come before him. Look at that verse again in Galatians in chapter 3. Have we got that up there again? Where it says, um, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Look at that. Uh, and so he's done it but we've got to believe it. Uh, he's provided for us to be, you know, redeemed means to be, to be brought back, to be claiming ownership all over again, to, to change the identity completely from being over there to being over here. We've been translated, the Bible says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that God loves. You know, so, so there's, there's the opportunity by faith to be completely set into a new identity, a new way of living as a child of God. But it takes faith. We've got to believe that, yeah? And then the third thing we need to do is to get specific in prayer. If we have an issue, we need to identify it. Uh, and sometimes this can require some other people. And we always have a time of prayer. At the end of the service, you can come forward and you can get people like myself and others in our prayer team to pray with you and you can share. You know, maybe there is something that's gone on in the family. Maybe there is some problem that is just not going away or some uh, habit or consequence of someone's sin or, or just natural whatever. You, you, you may need some help to figure out sometimes the source to identify the issue. But then when we do, there are some things we need to do in prayer. We need to forgive people if they have been involved in whatever consequences we are now suffering from. Um, we need to renounce any past influences that the devil may have had or any kind of you know, demonic or weird activity that's gone on. We need to resist the devil. And Jesus has promised, uh, the Bible says, if you resist, what does he do? He flees. It's a very simple equation because, again, we have authority in Christ, not in ourselves. And then, of course, we need to petition God, ask God for freedom and release and to be set free. Uh, and then the fourth thing is that we continue to walk in faith uh, because there's always a temptation to let the enemy back in with an issue to, again, like I said, it might be uh, tempting to sort of 
keep that issue when trouble trouble comes. It might be tempting to say, not just, uh, oh, that's not like uh, it should be. I'm going to stop that and move forward. It can be like, oh, here we go again. Oh, that's the way, I guess that's just my lot in life. Oh, it's the family generational curse again. Oh, well. And, and so we need to address that, resist the devil and stand against that and walk in faith, move forward in faith. And, um, you know, my friend who is worried about his marriage, he, like all marriages, has had some challenges. You know, they don't have the, the, the honeymoon, rosy, uh, perfect Hollywood movie marriage. I don't think anyone ever does, unless they're in the movies. Uh, and that only goes for an hour and a half. Or two hours if you're really keen and not like me. I look at movies. Ruth's often want to watch a movie. I'll go, hang on, how long? It's too long. I can't do it. It's 131 minutes. It's 8 o'clock now. It'll be 10. No, sorry, I'm out, babe. Tell me what happened. You know, and, um, and she's the opposite. We'll start a movie late sometimes and I'll be like, all right, I've got 15 minutes. Yep. I got the intro, I get the synopsis, great, fill me in later. But then she will just watch it all, you know, and, and get right into it and then be tired the next day, but she has to know. Um, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, these, this friend of mine, they, they've had a, a, a normal but good marriage and God has been there for them. But, of course, it hasn't been um, just... Uh, perfect. But th- my point is, when they have had challenges, he hasn't gone to the, oh, well, it's happening again. I guess we're just going to get a divorce because that's what happened to the parents. And then, you know, he could have got, oh, well, yep. No, no, they've never talked about divorce. That's not on the table. This is the, a new way of living. And so they've been disciplined. They've been like, oh, well, here's an issue. Gee, honey, I could kill you, but I signed the contract before God. Praise the Lord, you know, to gritted teeth. You've all had those times, you know. I love you. I forgive you. Yes, you know. Oh, here's some flowers, you know. And, uh, and, yeah, and yeah, sometimes, you know, it's like, Holy Ghost, where's the oil? You know, with just the machinery of the marriage. Is it? So I'm told, you know. <laughs> I mean, we have a blissful marriage. Where's my wife? Oh, that's right. She, she left me for a week. Right. Apparently, she's coming back tomorrow. Come next Sunday, if for no other reason, to see if the pastor's marriage is surviving and that we're still together, right? Okay, so watch this space, that chair. It's not even a rug there. (laughs) She's taken a rug. Oh, no. (laughs) Maybe she's not coming back. Frosty, where's the rug? It's gone. She took it with her. Oh, God, help me. Oh, well, okay. All right, praise the Lord. Um, I'll manage. Uh, so anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm just saying that, you know, we've got to be in faith, yeah? And so this guy, this mate of mine and his gorgeous wife, uh, of course they've had some challenges, um, but they haven't gone the... The, they haven't gone backwards to, you know, the, the, the family influences or throwing it all up. They've, they've kept their walk of faith, yeah? And, uh, and that's where we can find freedom in God and we can keep it, yeah? And keep walking in it. And so don't ever let uh, the devil make you think or any temptations of thought or whatever you might hear or read about generational curses, don't ever think that that's the way it is. That it can be broken, it can be dealt with and you can move forward in freedom in Christ. Amen? Praise the Lord.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.